A warm December welcome to the Uxbridge FM podcast, where we find out what's going on around the town. This month is a busy one, and yes, it's Christmas season, but we've spoken to a couple of people this month about the other side of Christmas, on homelessness and mental health. Christmas is a time of giving, of course, and Michael Sabell Hospice would love your help with their appeal. It's also a time to make resolutions, so how about volunteering with the Uxbridge Green Gym? We'll hear all about that. We need some sleigh bells, of course. Now, first off this month, there's still a lot more Christmas fun in the town centre to be had. Kira Gibson's here again from the Uxbridge Bid, the Uxbridge Business Improvement District. Now, I've certainly enjoyed the festive period, the uh, fireworks for the Christmas light switch on. We've got stalls, singing reindeers, German sausages, music, the lovely atmosphere at night as well. But there's more to come, we hear. Can you tell us all about that? Yes, there is. There's lots more to come. So this Saturday, so we've got two Saturdays left of live music and performers in Uxbridge Town Centre. So obviously we had the Christmas light switch on and we had the incredible fireworks, the LED drummers, the snow lion, the frozen fairies, the stilt performers, which has been absolutely amazing. And we're working in partnership with Tinseltown, who run the Christmas market, running Monday to Sunday, 10am to 6pm. So go on down and see. Their food is really good. Try the donuts. They're amazing. (laughs) And I'm very partial to the noodles at the moment as well. Obviously, our singing reindeer are still in the market for the next three weeks. So go see them. And and this Saturday, we've got the Bible Code Sunday coming into play. We've got Princess Elsa walking around Mm -hmm. to have photos with the kids. And we've got glitter baubles on stilts. Okay. So giant glitter baubles on stilts. Uh, And so the Elsa and the baubles will be one till three. uh, And three till five will have live music at the Christmas stage in the market. Fantastic. And next Saturday, because it's our last Saturday before Christmas, obviously the final shopping day because it's the 19th. Yeah. We've got the Christmas quackers who come on and they're two Christmas ducks who peck at people's presents uh, and run around and peck at people. But it's very cute. Uh, We've got Larry Fairy and the Christmas puddings running around. So be wary because she is a very Larry Fairy and one of the puddings might tumble over in front of you. We've also got the bouncing elves. Of course. As you do, (laughs) who'll be bouncing up and down the high street. And balloon attic as well. And they do their mischievous elves that Father Christmas has sent to create balloon models for kids. Great. Uh, You know, so it's just a little bit of extra fun in the town centre on the Saturday the 19th. And the Santa babies will be performing between three and five as well, doing some very festive and vintage tunes. So that will then finish up the Christmas season. It will. Well, the market runs until the 29th of December, so people can still pop in and and go to the market. But yeah, that finishes up six weeks of Christmas for us, which is really sad because we've loved every second of it. It's been amazing. You breathe a sigh of relief over New Year, maybe, (laughs) and then it starts again. Yes, it does. We've got stuff coming up next year. (laughs) Yes, we do. So um, we're sort of in the early stages of next year. Obviously, January is quite a quiet month. Uh, and then in February, we're hoping to put in an installation of love in the high street. Okay. Um, to have sort of giant love letters throughout and give out padlocks that people can write messages to their loved ones, you know, both here or who've, who've they've sadly passed. So nice sort of element, we hope, you know, particularly after a tough few years mm. with, with COVID. And yeah, so they'll be in situ if all goes to plan uh, for the whole month of Feb. This is the thing that you see in France, and isn't it, on bridges and things, yes. you tie padlocks to your That's to the, bridge. the bridge. And then a more official note, your mm. renewal's coming up, because it's been five years, yes. believe it or not, for the big, the Uxbridge Business Improvement District. You now have to renew yeah. and get all the ratepayers to vote. Yes, that's which it. Of course, they'll all say yes. <laughs> And such a great job. Mm. Fingers and toes crossed. Uh, we hope they, you know, we've got an amazing selection of businesses in the town. We're very fortunate and very lucky. And hopefully they see the, the validity in the enormous amount that we do, you know, from policing and security to street cleaning, yeah. to play shape marketing, to the events and everything from Christmas to summer to Halloween. And we're very positive about renewal. We, we're looking forward to the process, uh, looking forward to 
getting back in contact with businesses. Obviously, COVID has sort of halted a few things. So it'd be nice to just touch base again with people in person, which is what we've been able to do for the last, you know, six months again, which has been fantastic. Yeah. And then we have to ask people, have you seen the new Christmas TV ad? It's amazing. I was trying to spot people that I knew and name the faces. I couldn't do all of them, but there were some I didn't know. But that's out now, isn't it, on social media? It is, yes. You can, all of our um, channels are at Love Oxbridge and the Christmas advert has hit 10,000 views Gosh. plus and it's only been up 48 hours, which is very cool. Yeah, our Christmas advert, it was uh, something I've wanted to do for a while and obviously last Christmas things, you know, were slightly problematic with lockdowns, but this Christmas we just thought, why not? Let's mm. celebrate even more, make it the best Christmas Oxbridge has seen, yeah. which I think we've achieved with the light switch on and, you know, the performances and the market and everything. And yeah, having the advert was just so much fun to do and so much fun to film and you know we had the lovely Louie who was our, our star and we highlighted a few of our local independent businesses such as Balcony Shirts, The Flower Stall, Beauty Bell, Horsepower Hairdressing, uh, Harrison Hall had a cameo and you know we tried to get you know the pavilions is in it, the chimes is in it, shots of the high street and you know really just try to encapsulate the whole spirit mm. of, of Christmas in Uxbridge and yeah. What was your role? Did you get a chance to say action at any point or have a clapperboard? <laughs> I was in the final scene uh, and you can see my nails lifting a glass and that's it. I was like, oh, okay, I didn't make the final cut. But uh, for me, it was just being involved was brilliant. Uh, I was sort of following around most of it, kind of being the, the coffee person and just saying, oh, no, can we shoot from that side? You know, the aim was really to get as many businesses as we could in. You know, it's sort of it is logistically quite tricky. And I know we've you know, haven't been able to showcase so many of our incredible businesses. For that, we are sorry. And there's always next year, yeah. you know, because this Christmas ad is definitely going to become a thing now. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was just, it was a really nice experience. It's something I've never done before and something we've never done as a bid before. Uh, and yeah, the feedback has just been amazing. I was sort of at my desk until about nine o'clock last night going through the comments and uh, so many people saying it's better than John Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> and that was like, yay. It's been a really amazing process and the response has been incredible. Yeah, it's nice when you know places and you can shout out, I know where that is, I've been there. Yeah. You know, this is our town, it's our community. It's that shopping local, supporting local, keeping it local. Mm being local that, you know, this is your town centre and, you know, be proud of it and be involved in it and come in and support it. Yeah. If you've not shopped your Christmas shopping yet, do try and pop into Oxbridge and this shop locally rather than the online methods. Definitely. We've got an amazing range of independents and a lot of good range of high street stores and lots of bars, restaurants, coffee shops when you're coming in. Mm. Treat yourself. It's Christmas. Get your nails done. Grab a well, coffee. Well, I could do. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Get my nails done. This is great. Well, thanks, Kira. And we'll definitely share the Christmas TV ad. Thank and watch you. out for the uh, the big love is it a love arch or something? Well, it's going to. I think it'll be individual letters. Okay, L O V E. Yeah. Yes. Okay, V could be quite tricky to stand up, but we'll see. We'll put. We've got a good base to put them on, and yeah. it'll all be fine. Yeah, Self and safety. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Cheers. Merry Christmas. And loveuxbridge.co.uk is the place to go for all the Uxbridge bid information. Now some sad news next, an Uxbridge institution is about to close down. Barnard's Bookshop, set up way back in time by Tommy Barnard, closes on Saturday, December the 11th. I popped in for a quick chat with current owner Graham Mitchell. Tell us a bit about the history of Barnard's Bookshop, Graham. Well, initially it's formed, there's a controversy whether it's 1944 or 45, but when Tommy Barnard left the army... He came back, he was an Uxbridge man, and uh, he set up his first bookshop, an early one, in the High Street. It moved around Uxbridge a lot. I certainly know by 1967 he'd opened a second-hand bookshop on the other side of Windsor Street. And this one was certainly here in 1975, but some people say it was here in the mid-60s. Uh -huh. I'm not sure about that. And there was another bookshop associated with Tommy Barnard, which was called Barnard and Warren, in Baker's Yard. There's a nice old sign on the side of the building here, isn't yes. there? Yes. As if it has been here for years. Yes, yes. That one was associated with Tommy Barnard and, and dates to, I would say, about 1975. Yeah. I don't know when this shop actually opened. 
So it changed hands at some point. Yes, I and another couple of people bought the bookshop from Toby in 1990. He retained the second-hand shop until 1995 or 96, and then he'd become ill by then, and uh, he sold that business. And I continued here, and in the later 90s, Raymond Sentence became associated with the bookshop. Sadly, he's had to retire through your health. So I'm not getting any younger. I might as well retire too. I wouldn't want to actually buy the business or anything. So It's funny, isn't it? Because now Waterstones is unlikely to reopen. There might be an opening for a bookshop in the town. There, there would, but I, I think it's very difficult. People keep coming in here over the years, the last 10, 15 years, saying, you're the only bookshop I know in Greater London. And there's a reason for that. They're not really viable in many places in, in the country now. A couple of things happened in the late 90s. One of them was the internet, and the other thing was something called the Netbook Agreement. And that went in the mid-90s. Ironically, the person who campaigned for it was the uh, owner of Dylan's, and of course Dylan's are no longer with us. Because I don't think what he foresaw was that all the big sellers, the Michael Palins, the Attenboroughs, latterly would have been uh, J.K. Rowling. They were being sold in Tesco, Sainsbury's and supermarkets, which they never were before, at prices that bookshops couldn't buy them at. And those kind of books were the bread and butter of independent bookshops. Yeah. You know, at Christmas, pre when the netbook agreement was going, you could sell 50 or 60 Michael Palins, you know, a popular cookery book, you know, Delia Smith's. 50 or 60 of those would go at Christmas. But when they're you know, being sold, we're everywhere, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Just as another commodity. Then the bookshops didn't have those to fall back on. No. And, uh, and that, that affected, I think, independent bookshops a lot. So it's closing on what date? At the 11th of December, yeah. Saturday, the last day. And where will the books go that haven't sold? I think there's a clearance company coming in. And I suppose they'll have contacts where they can send what is not saleable. I suppose what's not saleable might go for pulping, I don't know. Okay. I hope it does, because at least it'll be recycled. Good luck with your retirement. And, uh, Thank you. Feet up on the beach or something. Well, not <laughs> quite the beach, no. I think experience in the lockdowns, you know, it shows you, you know, you can find things to do in your leisure time, in forced leisure time, as it were. So I think quite a few people have realised that in the last few years. Yeah. Well, um, good luck with whatever you end up doing. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. And it'll be interesting to see what takes the place of the shop. Now, the Christmas holidays is a time for meeting relatives and travelling. For some this year, that will involve air travel. I thought it might be a good time to grab a chat with one of the Heathrow Airport chaplains to find out what they do. We're chatting to chaplain at Heathrow Airport, Steve Buckeridge. Hello, Steve. Hi, Steve. Two Steves in one place. It's very confusing. Okay. Now, first of all, Steve, why does an airport need a chaplain? It's a really interesting question, isn't it? Because I suppose people would naturally think of hospitals or prisons as being a place to have a chaplain. I think the reason why we have them at Heathrow, and we've had them there for, for many years, is because of the unusual place that it is for many people. It can be perhaps quite stressful, it's an unfamiliar environment, and we're there just to help people, uh, help people of all faiths and none, and we'll help them with the day-to-day -day issues of getting through the airport. But I think another reason too is that sometimes there are some really big life experiences that people are going through. It's not just you know, exotic holidays and fantastic business trips. Sometimes it's travelling to funerals. Other times they've said goodbye to somebody who they don't expect to, to see again. And that can be really tough. So you have to have a basic knowledge of all, all religions? That's right. I'm a Christian and I'm motivated by showing the, the love of Christ to people but across the team, and there's quite a number of us on the team, we have representation from all the major world religions. We have prayer rooms that are open to everybody. And we're there to serve you know, people of all faiths and none. I suppose you've got a few funny stories. I mean, I suppose the obvious one would be people forgetting things or losing things, passports, suitcases, whatever. Um, any examples of that where you've helped someone? 
Yes, it's funny what people bring to the airport, but also, you know, after the event, funny what they perhaps leave behind. The obvious one is is if somebody forgets their passport, just can't fly. I remember one time when uh, there was a group I came up to, it was clear that there was you know, quite a bit of angst going on, and poor old granddad had left his passport up in Birmingham. And... Uh, there was grandma and granddad and mum and dad and the children all going off for a nice skiing holiday, I think in Canada somewhere. They were busy you know, giving granddad both barrels as to why he should have brought his passport. And Well, we got granddad sorted out to go and find the passport. With all, that, all the angst with that, I had to make sure that the rest of the family didn't miss the flight. And so I ended up, I think, walking quite briskly with them to make sure they, they still got on board. <laughs> I suppose it's a multiple role, isn't it? Because you know the airport very well. Mm. And it's a huge place, isn't it? You were telling me how many staff there are. It's ridiculous. It's huge. Obviously, COVID's had its impact, but, you know, we're there for both staff and passengers. And there's several tens of thousands of staff that that work at Heathrow. And certainly pre-COVID, there was 80 million passengers a year that, that went through. And we're there for everyone. Sometimes it's helping passengers. Other times we build up rapport with staff, staff Bible studies, and you get to know staff sometimes and you're able to be there for them when life's tragedies hit as well. Do you think there's some link between um, the Christmas story as well at this time of year? Certainly. Uh, I'm sure that Mary and Joseph could have done with a chaplain, couldn't they? And I won't do the old jokes about the flight to Egypt and, and so on in an airport context, but I think you're Mary and Joseph, you know, it was an unexpected journey. Uh, it was a difficult journey for them with Mary being pregnant. Bethlehem would be the place where Jesus would be born. And I believe that we see God working his purposes out. So often when I'm talking to people, it's good to remind them of that, that even though it may seem tough at the time, I believe in a God is in overall control. And even though we might not see it at the time, we'll look back and see how God was, was working things out. Yeah, I'm starting to see why an airport could be a good place for a chaplain because you've got all these um, flights that are flying high in the sky. It's quite an inspiring kind of place, quite scary for some people probably as well. Quite emotional, as you were saying, um, the different experiences that you can have flying through an airport. And it's so closely linked with faith as well. Um, I guess however much or little you understand about aerodynamics, it's ultimately a step of faith to get on board an aircraft and this invisible power of air that takes the aircraft up into the air and pilots and engineers that we've never met. Ultimately, it's a a question of trust. And so often I use things like that to illustrate to people things to do with religion and theology as we go through the airport and perhaps we just have five or ten minutes with somebody. We're able to talk about these big faith questions and ultimately, I think, in the journey of life, you know, what we're trusting really matters. And we can't see God. And yet... To my mind, there's no question about it that through faith in Jesus Christ, we're able to have uh, a living relationship with him. I guess you're dealing with the full range of society, aren't you? You've got the first class passengers with their beds in their planes and uh, being served all kinds of lovely food through someone to maybe using the airport as a homeless shelter. You're the whole range of people there at the airport. Absolutely. It's one of the things that I find so great about going in. I, I, I genuinely still feel excited every time I go in to do a chaplain shift. You just never know what's going to happen. And as you say, Steve, you're, you're dealing with across the, the spectrum of society. And I've literally gone from talking to, you know, a chief executive of a company, go around the corner and had a chat with a cleaner. And it doesn't matter. Uh, we're there to serve everybody. And everybody's got these emotions and cares and concerns going through their minds. And I just think it's wonderful to be able to show God's love that comes out to us all by, by being there for everybody. Sometimes we get asked all sorts of questions. Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, it's certainly quite important to know when, when we just don't know the answer and we have to go and find somebody. It's, it's certainly quite interesting the way that people do ask me all sorts of questions. I remember going around a corner one day and uh, an old couple said, there's somebody that will know. And I thought, well, they're going to ask me where the toilets are or something. And they said to me, you all know what heaven's like as a chaplain. We were just discussing coming up the escalator. What will heaven be like? And I thought, well, that wasn't a question I was necessarily expecting, but it is surprising what's going through people's minds as they, they go through the airport. And sometimes, as you say, it's a very practical question. Other times people are thinking more deeply. I wonder whether maybe it's because airports are sometimes a an important juncture in people's journey of, of life. You know, maybe they're moving to live in another country or something, and uh, they're thinking about the big things of life. 
Well, maybe some people heaven is high up in the sky. So yes, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, I certainly think about that. I remember one day I was on a flight and we took off and it, the weather was horrible. You know, you could hardly see you know, one end of the runway from the other. And, and yet a few minutes later, you burst through the clouds and it all looks very different. You know, the sun shining. And I certainly try and bring that sense to people that you get a little bit higher. The perspective is different. And uh, I certainly think that seeing things from a spiritual perspective makes a big difference. Yeah. Well, that's great. Some lovely stories there, Steve. Um, being a chaplain at Heathrow Airport, obviously aircraft is in your family DNA with your dad being a pilot, yeah. now retired. Also, I hear uh, there might be some drone flying going on as well at some points. Yes, one of our one of our sons <laughs> enjoys doing a bit of drone flying. It's uh, I suppose it, it is a bit of a family trait, but uh, my big motivation really is serving God and, and wanting to just show that love of Christ to those we come into contact with. Well, thanks, Steve, for popping in and telling us a bit about being a chaplain at Heathrow Airport. That's thanks great. Much. Cheers. So if you're flying this Christmas, remember your passport and your passenger locator form and your COVID passport. <laughs> Next up, Claire Sullivan is on the resource team at Trinity Homeless in Uxbridge. We're going to find out how they help homeless people in Hillingdon. Hi, Claire. Hello, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, yes, yes. So for anyone who doesn't know, describe what Trinity does in the area. Trinity supplies supported accommodation to single homeless people in the borough of Hillingdon. So anyone who reports themselves to the council as homeless and they have a support need, and that can range from anything from social networking any form of addiction, mental health, or generally just need a guidance of how to pay bills, etc. We will take them under our wing. Our accommodations are throughout Hillingdon. And our aim is to help people get into independent living. So by providing the support, we can help people move into their forever home. And you've got the furniture warehouses, which are your one of your income methods in Uxbridge and Yedding. Yes. And what other ways do you bring money in to the charity? Um, we do a lot of fundraising. We love our events. And, you know, Trinity's a very popular charity. It's been around for a long time. Also, we have donations coming to us as well. So this can be sometimes things from sleeping bags to food and obviously things you can apply for like grants, etc. as well. And are there specific things that you're in need of at the moment? We've had a lot of, it's that time of year where everyone is donating a lot of sleeping bags, bedding. I would say we've had so much come in at the moment that if anyone had any, the best place to take it to is Olympic House, which is off Pildeheath Lane in Hillingdon. That is a homeless shelter, let's say, and they provide emergency accommodation. And they go through a lot because once it's been issued to someone, they take it with them. Yeah. So say you see somebody in the street who you think is homeless, what's the best way of helping them? The first thing you should do is always speak. You could be someone's first and only conversation that day and nothing makes someone's day than being asked, are you okay? Do you need something? You know, you don't have to go too much in depth with what you ask. The main thing is you need to ask them if they need anything. Do they want help? Is there anything they need? best thing to do is to take a description of that person as well and if they are looking to not be homeless if they want to find accommodation is to report them to Streetlink and Streetlink can be found um, on their website or they have a telephone number and you report where you found the person a description of them and if they are street homeless Streetlink will go out to their location and they will find out what help they can offer them. Sometimes it can be emergency accommodation straight away. Sometimes it can be help and advice. But they are the best emergency port of call to do 24 hours a day. Okay. And what are the, obviously there's various reasons for being homeless. What are some of the common ones that you see? Common ones, relationships break down. You've got a lot of families now where someone may have lost their income due to COVID or due to rises in rent and can't afford the rent. You've also got mental health, which is very much on the rise, and also things like addiction, loss of friendships, marital breakdowns. The list is absolutely endless of why anyone could be homeless, which is why it can happen to anyone. 
you know, you're always one paycheck away from being homeless. Yeah. It's a bit worrying, isn't it? It is. <laughs> I know you do the, um, the homeless count. It involves people from Healing and Council and places like Trinity and other homeless associations actually going out onto the street during an evening and actually head counting people that are rough sleeping. So this is a case of literally finding someone who's homeless. So we sometimes rely on information we're given through word of mouth, internet, someone who's come into us, um, someone who's called us up and literally accounting for how many homeless people are in Hinden. Now, Obviously, it's only a case of what you see that night. So it's not always going to be accurate, but it's a start. And you know all the hidey holes in the in the borough. Yes, you kind of, <laughs> you, you'll find one person, you'll find two, then three, then four. Mm. And, you know, it's nice to know that when someone is in need, that they have got someone around them. But no one should have to call a phone box or a graveyard or an empty shop front a home. No. There's a lot of things that homeless people will struggle with. And I think one of the things is like sanitation, like being able to bathe, being able Mm. to use a bathroom, being able to have some quiet, you know, being able to think. And that's something that is very hard to find. Mm. Yeah, I suppose there used to be public baths, didn't there? But not so much now. Not so much. And definitely with COVID, you'll find (laughs) that a lot of places that may have been used, like supermarkets and churches, they're not open as a service anymore. Mm. As we approach Christmas, people are thinking of giving to charity. Can they give to Trinity in cash or or their time? Via our website, you can donate to us. We have Amazon wish lists for items that we offer to people who are moving on to permanent accommodation. So someone who's been in our supported and has been offered a home which is secure for them. Most of the time, it is a shell. You have no carpet, no furniture. And you've been in shared accommodation, so you may not have the basic necessities like towels or knives and forks. So we have a wish list for items that we can forward on to people that are moving on. We're also asking this time of year for people to actually give gifts to the homeless. We want to get out of that stereotypical of give the homeless a sandwich, give them a toothpaste, you know, give them a, you know, a sanitizer. I don't think I would accept um, <laughs> something like that from a friend or a, a family member at Christmas. You know, it is very true that the homeless, they do feel segregated out of our society. They're put on this stereotypical sitting in a door who shouldn't have to be like that so by giving someone a gift and it could be a box of chocolates it could be a nail kit it could be um something you know special something a bit funny it's the meaningless of it it's about giving something from your heart not something that you'd have had a thousand times over and ask if someone's homeless ask them if you know do you like this do you like that you know It's always so good to talk. And I think people are scared sometimes and no one should be scared. We're all humans. You know, no one's better than each other. Someone who has fallen on their ways needs help. And Mm. the best way you can help is to talk. Yeah, very true. The warehouse, the furniture warehouse, just off the high street. I love popping in there because there's always some interesting things on on show. Uh, Remind people where it is. What's the address of the warehouse? Um, We are Redford Way which is just off Belmont Road in Uxbridge. And it's just, if you're going from the high street, there's a little alleyway by the Gujan. We're just through there. So you can pop in for a pint on the way if you wish. There's parking available and we're open Monday to Saturday. And the one in Yedding, I've not been there, but the one in Yedding is quite similar. It's very similar. It's Willow Tree Avenue. There's a big parade of shops um, by the Vauxhall Garage. It's just there. Same thing, we can collect furniture. We can receive furniture in hand. We need to have things like fire tags on sofas, etc., because we can't sell something on that, you know, could be a hazard and pat tested if it's electrical, etc. But we're always accepting furniture donations. And sometimes we get things like stereos and things. They're also accepted fridges. There's so much demand at the moment for low cost furniture where people are changing what they've got or people are being moved into other accommodation which they have nothing and they don't have 500 pounds to go and buy a big set Mm. etc the donations coming in they go to good people who need it and at the moment there's just more going out than coming in okay but also if you've got relations coming around for christmas and need a small extra table then um 
have a look in the warehouse, I guess. You never oh, know what you might find. Yes, and we've got the most odd-looking, you know, you could have 10 different types of chairs, different colours, different heights. You know, you see that scene sometimes, like someone sitting in the kitchen and oh, they've yeah. got, like, the garden chair and the bar stool. We can, we can sort it out. <laughs> <laughs> and what's the website for more information and for donating? We are www.wearetrinity.org.uk. Well, thanks for popping in, Claire, telling us all about Trinity. And as you say, hop on the website, have a look and uh, possibly donate or volunteer some time. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And from Uxbridge, we're going to hop on the bus, probably the U4 or the number 90, and head down to Hayes. Today, we are visiting Hayes and chatting about a new cafe down there, all linked in with mental health. We've got Aisha and Miles joining us from Hestia. Hello there. Hi there. Good Hi afternoon. There. Miles, let's start with you and explain what this new cafe, the Hillingdon Cove Cafe, does. All right. Generally speaking, we're an out-of-hours mental health service. Between the hours of 2 o'clock and 10, we help people through the crises that they're experiencing. So that can be anything from anxiety to depression to even a general low mood and loneliness will help you figure out some coping strategies on how to deal with that and potentially signpost you on to other organisations or charities for more indefinite care. And then Aisha, the Hillingdon Cove Cafe, I gather it's not actually a cafe where you can walk in and buy cakes and tea. You do serve cakes and tea, but only to people coming in. How many staff are there and what's their kind of experience and, and background? So we have a range of staff within the team. We have a service manager um, a team manager and then the frontline staff are made up of recovery workers and peer support workers. The recovery workers all have some kind of theoretical knowledge and background, so degrees in psychology, masters in psychological areas and so on, which they can put to use. And then the peer support workers are individuals who have their own mental health lived experience, but now feel they're at a stage in their journey to recovery where they can use their experience to help support other people. And I gather it was referral only, but it's recently become open access so you can, anybody can walk in yeah. off the street. What are some of the issues just walking in to A&E with a mental health issue? It's probably quite scary if you Absolutely. comparing A&E to your probably quite relaxed environment. Yeah, because in A&E it's going to be a very cold and clinical setting. Us at Hestia, however, we take more of a friendly approach. I'll try to talk to you like you're a person as opposed to a quota or a patient. We'll make, we'll crack jokes if that's something that you're into. I'll tailor my speech depending on the type of person I'm working with. If you just want answers, I can do that. If you just want an ear and no judgment, I can do that as well. But that's not to say that A&E has no place in mental health. A lot of A&D and so on, obviously they're very clinically informed. Within our services, we're looking at creating a very specific psychologically informed environment. So that could be something very simple like soft lighting, having white noise in the back, creating, like Miles was saying, that safe, non-judgmental space for people to come in away from the hustle and bustle of how busy we know A&Es can get. And you've got a bit more of that one-to-one -one attention dedicated to you. Mm. Obviously, you've got no sort of typical issue when people come in but what's some of the common ones some of the common mental health issues when they come into you oh common ones low mood i've seen that quite a few times on referral forms that can be because you have something as severe as suicidal thoughts or you've even attempted it in the past don't worry if you tell that to me i'm not going to judge you i want to help you or it could be something as simple as i don't go out enough and i want to try and make friends but i don't know how to start i've had Service users come to me with that very issue. I'm an adult now. I don't know how to meet people. Maybe you've just come into the country and you left all of your friends and family behind. So I can help you come out of your shell, tell you the places to go to, different resources or groups to join, and we'll go from there. So it really can be just someone walking in, I just fancy a check because I'm lonely, right through to some very serious like, suicidal thoughts, that kind of thing. There's a bit of a stigma still attached to mental health, isn't there? There shouldn't be nowadays, but there does seem to be. If someone comes to you, it won't be written on their health records and fed back to their employer or whatever. It's, it's all kept anonymous. Yeah, Absolutely. I gather you're open 365 days a year, which is quite something, because I suppose one of the um, peak seasons might be Christmas and New Year when people have these 
depressing feelings, perhaps not enough presents, I don't know, in my case. <laughs> <laughs> Who's got the Christmas shift then? It's not, not me. me. It's not me this year. Hey. I imagine my manager's <laughs> going to remember that. But next year, I've instead got New Year's. So if you have any issues, you'll be seeing me on that day. We do have some of our other staff for, who are obviously just as experienced who are covering the Christmas shift. So we make sure we've got permanent staff on site all the time. Obviously, it's a generalisation. But do you think some people coming to you could just benefit from going for a nice walk in the fresh air, eating some healthy food and just seeing some, some more friends? I mean... Can that be sometimes as simple as it is? Yes. Or am I being too simple? No, 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 absolutely not. I've had one case where the person I was talking to would never be in the house. They would always go for a walk before they called in because they needed that solitude. They needed that fresh air. And then on top of that, because I was so forthcoming myself with anything that I have been through that's even slightly similar, they were more willing to open up about themselves. And obviously you can't give names and uh, cases, but you've had some testimonials, I gather, from people who have been through your service and um, got some very positive outcomes. Yeah, I've heard a lot of stories in my time so far. One person has lived a very exciting life that I'm not going to go into too much detail on, but because they were always moving around, they had distanced themselves from their daughters. So I helped this person reconnect with that side of their family. They just needed the courage to be able to sit down and talk to them. In another case, this person was struggling with studies. They were in business, but because they had autism, it was difficult for them to balance everything in life, socializing, fitness, and school. So I just helped this person figure out how to schedule their day, how to manage their hours better, and they saw immediate improvements. So this past session was nothing but them thanking me for what I'd done. So you're obviously looking to publicise the service to local GPs and make them aware of what you do. If local GPs want to get to know about you, you've got obviously information you can pass on to them. So we're doing a lot of engagement sessions, especially since we've gone open access and we're linking in with commissioners who are putting us through to GP forum meetings um, so that we can build more links within the local community with services like GPs and so on. And then from there, we'll be able to circulate all our comms material, which has all the information. We've got referral forms if a GP does feel they'd like to make a referral as opposed to just advising the individual to turn up. So we're doing all those to build as many strong working links we can. And then, Miles, let's chat about how you don't take work home with you. I mean, um, obviously, it's a pretty stressful day. Sometimes you're dealing with some pretty heavy issues. Do you go home and just put a cold flannel on your head or how do you deal with that? Okay. Well, first of all, to everybody listening, do not take your work home with you. (laughs) Do the best you can to leave it in the office, okay? When I'm at home, it's television, talking to friends, taking up my own hobbies, writing, or just listening to music. Because I know that once I go back to work, I'll be able to do my best to resolve the issue when I'm at work. It's important to acknowledge, I think, how heavy the work can get, emotionally draining. Um, I'm sure Miles would agree, some of the cases you hear really touch Mm -hmm. um, deep. So generally, even within the team, you know, we try and debrief as much as we can. We have reflective practice sessions and we've got loads of different training. So any area, for example, if Miles came forward and said, look, I've got someone who's dealing with bereavement, but I don't feel competent enough to like or comfortable, you know, to deal with that. We would look at sourcing our training to try and encourage staff to be able to feel confident when they're dealing with any cases that come forward. But it is important about being boundaried and knowing where your work ends and where you need to then put your own well-being first. Yeah. Great stuff. So the contact details, it's the Hillingdon Cove Cafe. You're at 90A East Avenue in Hayes, and that's UB32HR. It's just a 10-minute walk from uh, Hayes and Harlington Station. Lots of bus routes pass by. I gather the, the 90 and the 140. Mm-hmm. 140 goes Six everywhere. It's well. Yeah. Okay. Email address, let's do that, hillingdon.cove at hestia.org. There's a phone number as well, which is... 07827-535-271. And finally, what would you say to anyone listening who's got worries or concerns about their mental health? Don't be ashamed of what it is that you're going through. Don't think that you are lesser than or a freak or weird because of the problem that you have. Don't think that you're alone either. That's why we're here. 
And hopefully we'll be able to show you that after you've had your time with us, you still have others who can help you as well, whether it's signposts or it's friends and family. I think a lot of people don't realize how strong and how resilient they are mm -hmm. because there are so many stories I hear where they've been through hell and back, but they're still here. Don't underestimate yourself. Don't sell yourself short and have the strength to ask for help. I think also there's a lot of stigma, obviously, as we know, around mental health. And it's important that everyone acknowledges that we're all on a journey. It's not necessarily that you've got a formal diagnosis and you are under that mental health category. We're all dealing with one thing or another. And obviously it always gets to a point where sometimes you need that additional support to be able to deal with something. So it's more about reaching out and feeling confident enough to do that um, and finding kind of where your boundaries are, where your limits are and seeking that support. Thank you very much, Aisha and Miles, for coming in and telling us all about the Hillingdon Cove Cafe no in Hayes. Thank you very much. And from Hayes, we'll hop on the 140 all the way to Mount Vernon. Michael Smell Hospice have a Christmas memories appeal. So next up, we're chatting to Angela Rainfor, who is fundraising lead at Michael Smell Hospice Charity. Hi, Angela. Hi, Steve. Now, first off, for anyone who doesn't know Michael Sabell Hospice, can you explain a bit about what they do and the services they provide? Yes. So Michael Sabell Hospice is the local hospice for Hillenden and Northwest London. We provide free expert palliative care and support for local people facing life-limited illnesses. The hospice is based on the grounds of Mount Vernon Hospital. We were opened in 1977 and we have within the hospice a team that offers medical, nursing and emotional care, along with practical support for patients, their families and carers. Our aim is that every patient should experience a journey towards the end of their life that is peaceful, comfortable and free from worry and pain. And roughly, how much does it cost a year to run all those services? Every year, the hospice needs to raise around £1.9 to provide vital care services to the local community. That's an awful lot of money, isn't it? So I gather you've got some charity shops and you do collections. What, what other methods of collecting do you have? So uh, we have two charity shops based in Hillenden, one in Northwood and one in East Coast. We also run a series of events. We also have local businesses that support us and then just general individuals who provide, leave us legacies, donate in-kind gifts for our shops, individuals who give donations in memory of someone they've lost and just generally support the charity with um, a regular giving. Now, it's definitely one of those local charities that when you talk to local people, they normally sing the praises of the hospice as they know someone who's been cared for there. What are some of the things that individuals can do or, or companies can do to raise some money for the hospice? Well, firstly, I just want to say thank you to all the local residents who already support the charity. So we have individuals who maintain the grounds around the hospice. We had volunteers who work within the hospice itself. And we also have volunteers who help out in the fundraising office and also our retail team. There are a number of ways that you can help the charity. As I mentioned, we have two charity stores and we're always on the lookout for individuals who can help either inside the shop in a sales assistance role, help around the shop itself. And we also have a warehouse, individuals who can help out in the warehouse that's um, sorting and pricing the goods that we receive. If any local residents would like to support the charity by donating, that would be fantastic. And you can just visit our website. Now, I know you have a specific appeal running over Christmas, What's that all about and what's your target for that? So we have, we're running our Christmas Memories Appeal this year with the aim of raising 50000 for the charity. And we've partnered with Harlington Hospice this year to launch our annual Christmas Memories Appeal. The purpose of the campaign is to help people living with a life-limiting illness in the area so that they can create special moments, specifically Christmas Memories and what we're looking for are memory makers this Christmas to help us create those special moments. And you've got some examples of people that you've helped with these special moments. Let's hear a couple of those to give an idea of what you're doing. Tina was a patient in a hospice and she had a young family. And unfortunately, she spent her time in the hospice at Christmas. And our hospice staff worked to create some really lovely special moments for Tina and her family. So in this particular case, they made a special Christmas dinner for them and also set it up 
that her children, she had two small young children, could have the snowball fight and she was wheeled out onto the balcony so she could see them playing. And also our hospice staff provided bereavement support to the family. For us specifically, why we've launched this Christmas memory appeal is that those special moments we want to raise 50,000 so that hospice can create more of those special moments for our patients like Tina. We also helped Leslie. So Leslie entered the hospice after having some surgery and chemo. For her, she was kind of feeling a little down. And so what the hospice staff did was that we have um, some animal um, therapy and she really adored animals. So we brought one of our hospice ponies down to see her and surprised her with it. It was on her, her birthday and she loved it. She said, just to touch him and smell him, just to have the warmth of him on my hands was so magical. I remember that moment forever. And it just really helped her. She was in a hospice for 12 days and she basically said after those 12 days, she came out a new woman. And her partner also said that he noticed sort of um, a difference in her whole demeanour and attitude. So it's special moments like that that we want to raise money from the Christmas appeal because we really believe that for patients and their families, those are special moments that they will cherish and remember forever. Great stuff. What's the website and uh, other contact details that people might need? So our website is michaelsobelhospice.org. Find out all about supporting the charity uh, by giving a donation or volunteering or buying a, a gift online. Great. Well, thanks, Angela. And once again, if you can help Michael Sabell Hospice by volunteering or creating special Christmas moments, head to michaelsabellhospice.org. Thanks, Angela. Okay. Thanks a lot. Take care. Now, next year, how about a New Year's resolution to get outside a bit more? Uxbridge Green Gym is behind the Hillingdon Sports and Leisure Centre. I went to meet Sarah Pollitt, who's the senior project officer there, organising a team of volunteers turning an underused piece of land into an oasis. Got loads of volunteers here, all in much more suitable clothing than I'm wearing. <laughs> Down by a lake, got streaming going on. Hello. Hello, Steve. How are you? Good. It's a nice cold day. It is, yes. Very keen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is Dragoner, the countryside officer for Hillingdon. Dragoner? Mm-hmm. That's it. This is not my everyday job. <laughs> in a lake in December? Yeah. Right. Opening up, getting rid of the quota of reeds. Okay. Are you sure about this? My volunteers wouldn't do it. They're, they're too cold for them, but these guys are... <laughs> they're hardcore. Yeah. So what do you do, Dragoner? I work as a countryside conservation officer in the, in the council, Killingham Council. Yeah. And uh, I look after nature conservation sites, um, ponds, rivers, meadows, oh, little wow. woodlands, not, not big woodlands, but just like the copses and then things like that. So you're outdoors pretty much all the time? 50-50. <laughs> yeah. We have quite a lot of work in the office. Don't ask me what, but it does come up. You get involved with schools and things as well, with education. Yeah, yeah, we do get involved with schools yeah. and creating new projects, new ponds, new wetlands. Improving the area for people, trying to get them outside more. Yeah, people and nature together, making yes. a nice balance for both. Yes, all. exactly. Are there a big team of you then with the council? Uh, in the green spaces, I think that's about eight of us, yeah. plus managers. Today you're dressed in December in waders and you've been in the lake. I don't yes. know how cold it is in the lake, but um, is that mad? Mm, once when you get in and you get used to the smell, <laughs> you get used to the, the cold as well. If you have fluffy socks underneath, that's fine. Okay. It's more like Beck has to get used to it. <laughs> yes. So what's in the lake, apart from uh, water? Uh, we have newts. newts. Because you've got this whole network of ponds here in Uxford Common and Park Road, yeah, um, and then further afield, um, and the river, you've got metapopulations of newts, so smooth newts and the greater crested newt, which is protected. And we have to do it now before they lay eggs in all the Okay. This was done in, I think, about 2007. So when the college built the housing estate, the SOP to the community was that this, which was just a flat field, a sloping field was re-landscaped and they put in the two ponds oh. and there's 
new tunnels underneath the roads in the housing estate and there's a few stag beetle loggeries around. <laughs> Seating and development. We've got a gravelly path and rocks in cages. Gabions. Gabions, that's the technical term. Mm -hmm. And then you'll lay planks on top. To sit on, to make yeah. it comfortable. Yeah. So there's wood going inside them to attach the outer wood to. Yeah. And then they'll have throne-like wooden backs. Yeah. Very hardy. There'll be three big chestnut wonky poles that we can attach a sun sail to and let people know it's here. But, and this will be planted as hedging, so it'll feel more enclosed. Has that been designed by somebody? Mike Shadbolt. He's a landscape architect. Okay. So trying to go for something that the volunteers could do a lot of the work with and didn't look out of keeping yeah. with this huge site. How's it going, Michael? Uh, yeah, very well, thank you, yes, yes. So how many days until you finish, do you think? <laughs> That's a good question. It was probably another week's work together, yeah. I should think, but spread out over, over a few weeks as when the volunteers yeah. are, are here. So. so you design all kinds of outdoor seating in various parks and things? That's your... uh, yeah, all, all outdoor spaces generally, outdoor classrooms, all sorts of gardens and, and things. That sounds interesting. <laughs> Any others near here that you've done? Um, I've done a lot of work at Ivor Environment Centre, which is just the other side of Uxbridge from here. Yeah. Um, did, did a very big pond for them last, last year, um, and teaching teaching area there. Um, various schools in the area I've done some work in. Do a lot of work, groundwork at Denham Country Park. Yeah. So it'd be sitting at a desk all day, I imagine. Certainly yeah, outside. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> I think it'll look great when it's finished, won't it? Well, I hope so. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, draw draw some people through to the to the lovely sort of space beyond. Yeah. So I guess these have to be very sort of hardy for. Yeah. Local kids will probably use it as their skateboard uh, track, but uh, that's all part of the <laughs> part, part of the, the fun, thing. Really, yeah. 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 They've got to go somewhere. <laughs> Something exactly. to do. <laughs> so yeah, make it as as theoretically indestructible as possible. You know. Yeah. So you've got the newt plan. Yeah. Do you want to go and see the newt plan? Um, if it's not too muddy. This has been going on now for how long, this oh, Uxbridge Green Gym? I think it's four years. Autumn 2017, they started running sessions. Yeah. I think I started summer of 2018. I took over from someone who initially set it up. Yeah. I only had one volunteer when I started and then she left. And so then <laughs> I had to build it up from scratch. <laughs> uh, um, and now we have about 10, Per week coming, for three hours every Wednesday. Um, I can see in the summer and the spring it would be quite idyllic, but today in December it's a bit. If <laughs> they're you're working keen, there, aren't they? you don't notice. <laughs> <laughs> they're all warm because they're cutting down yeah. trees and things. So uh, a newt's protected? The great crested newt is protected. And you have them here. Um, and that's because they're in low numbers. I think particularly in, whilst we have quite a lot here, they're in low numbers in Europe and elsewhere. And therefore they're protected by European law. So what you've done, you made a sort of zigzag pattern across the field. So we've returned it to being the floodplain that it was. So the water, instead of going around the sides of the field and very quickly into the pin, is cutting across the floodplain yeah. where it can seep in this, what they call a scrape, a shallow pond further on. So the water will then be able to seep into the ground, slowing its journey to the river pin, till after the river levels fall and the river can cope with it again. Oh, You're reducing the chances of flooding. You can't prevent it, but... Yeah. And then it creates new habitat for wildlife at this site. Although you've got meadows beyond the pin, here you've got a lot of amenity grassland that's not very good for wildlife, and this will have different plant species and encourage different wading birds wading and birds, yes. allow the newts to traverse the site more easily and things because you'll get more tussocky grass and stuff. Oh, I see. We had a planting day with the volunteers and we advertised that and with two tweets from the council we had 40 people turn up oh, great. and we put in all the, um, there'll be yellow flags, the irises okay. and other things in there and then we've had another day where we sowed this bank with cornflowers so it'll be colourful and pretty. So once it's all flowering and uh, there's birds and habitat coming to yeah. see it, you'll have what, bird watching and things going on and activities. We've got to organise bird watching activities with school groups and scout groups and things in the spring as part of this funding. 
show them the habitat and explain it and stuff. Yeah. It's a bit of an unknown area, isn't it? Because you wouldn't think behind the leisure centre there would be this kind of wildlife oasis. Well, it's 50 hectares. It's big. Okay. And yeah, it's underused. It's known by dog walkers, but that's one of the reasons for putting the seating. I'm putting features on that brow of that hill because the brow of the hill stops you seeing all yeah. of this. So I'm trying to put features on that brow up there so that draw people in and then they can see this green space. So there's the seating and there'll be signage. Yeah. And we've opened up the view from the car park so they can see the signage and there'll be signage inside the car park. And hopefully people will discover for themselves. So how many volunteers are there now in December? I haven't counted today. Is it about 10, the movie? And they do sort of, what, two or three hours? It's 11 till 2. Yeah. With a break at 12.30, with which we boil the kettle for. An outdoor storm kettle. And people like that because they're coming here for the exercise and the social yeah. community. And you see over there, they're weaving a new hurdle with the coppice wood. A hurdle? Yeah. This is a new term. And what's the idea here with this weaving? Well, it's to use up the wood that we um, fell. Because the pond is surrounded by willow trees and we're coppicing a section every year. If you see the changing height, so then we have to use the material, but also when we're clearing scrub and stuff, we create a lot of what we call a risings, the green waste. Yeah. So we have put them here and we contain them with woven hurdles. So the volunteers also learn this traditional uh, technique. Sort of fencing technique. Yeah. By weaving the willow. So you make a stake, put a point on it like for vampires. Yeah. And bang it in and then we weave in and out. So this is Earl and Lee, who are hedgling. So they've cut into the stem because just under the bark is where all the vessels that transport water and nutrients up to the leaves through the tree. So by leaving it with a small amount of contact with the original stump, it can still transmit the nutrients. I see. And where you have a, a node, a, a bump, a growing point, that will create upright stems all the way along. Basically, what we do is destroy things. Yes. <laughs> Nearly everything that we do <laughs> involves cutting things down, pulling things out, heaping things in big piles so they rot away. Um, so it's, it's all very destructive, which is quite satisfying. I'm sure, yes. It's very good. And you've volunteered for how long here? Well, nominally about two and a half years. Yeah. Three, yeah. yeah. You come here for a couple of hours every week. Chop yeah. some wood, work off your aggression. That's right. Yeah. Get out from under partner's feet. Kill a few more <laughs> yeah. things and chop a few more things down. Yes. Yeah. yes. So if somebody wants to come and join you and volunteer here, mm -hmm. what's, the, uh, what's the system? I can just turn up or uh, give you a ring or an email or tweet yeah. or something? They can turn up. There's a form to fill in the first time you volunteer which is that we have emergency contact details and medical, anything relevant, medical stuff. Yeah. And then it's flexible volunteering, so you can come and go as you want. So attend as many sessions as you want for as much of a session as you wish. Great, it's very flexible. Mm. And, then and then there's usually a range of tasks, so there's things to suit different people. And if you wanted to just turn up and have the coffee with us at 12.30 and have a chat, that's fine too. Oh, right. You don't have to do free <laughs> labour. <laughs> It's free coffee as well. Yes. Right, can I interest you in a cup of tea? Thanks to Sarah for the tour of the Uxbridge Green Gym site. There's more information by searching online for Uxbridge Green Gym. How about a poem next? If you're familiar with Fastenage Park, there was a big tree by the entrance which has recently been chopped down. Ruth Adamson lives opposite and wrote a poem. There is an old majestic tree that stands outside my flat. A hundred years or more it's seen, I'm pretty sure of that. A vast green canopy of leaves it had and blossomed flowers in spring. The squirrels chased around its base and birds could sit and sing. But my old friend is ageing now, its branches bare and bleak. And though it still stands strong and bold, its ancient roots are weak. Today the men in orange came and with the saw and chain took down my old majestic tree, it will not flower again. Thanks Ruth, and do send us your poems or stories, we'd love to hear more of those. A couple of events coming up to mention. The Either Environment Centre have Christmas workshops on Saturday the 18th of December, 
making decorations, beeswax candles and toasting marshmallows, check out ivorenvironmentcentre.org. The Comedy Bunker has their famous Christmas show on the 23rd of December. It's a secret who's playing, though. They're at comedybunker.co.uk. And there's lots more events on the events page of the Uxbridge FM website, uxbridgefm.co.uk slash events. That's all for this month's podcast. Get in touch by email. It's studio at uxbridgefm.co.uk. Join us on social media, just search Uxbridge FM. And if you're listening on a podcast app, make sure to subscribe. You can now ask your smart speaker to play the podcast. Just say, play the Uxbridge FM podcast. Thanks to Chris Allen for helping out and Luke and Yeri for the music. We're back next month when it'll be 2022. Have a great Christmas and talk to you then. 